Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Good morning, everybody, or afternoon, I should say. It's really good to be with you. Um, thank you, Phil. We love Phil and Dave and, and the team here. And uh, we've enjoyed getting to know some of you and uh, look forward to that in the future. It's been wonderful serving you today in the Word. I'm exhausted in the second service. I don't know how you guys do this regularly, but I uh, feel like an apple, really. But uh, we'll get one of those later on, hopefully. Um, but it's a real privilege to be here. If you want to know a little bit more about us and our ministry that we're involved in, my prayer letters are at the desk just before you go out the back door, and it outlines the website and various uh, uh, events that are taking place that we're involved in. And if you want to subscribe to that, you can do that via um, the email address that's on that, and it comes out every three months. And we really appreciate prayer. Um, also, my books are, as uh, Phil has said, Breaking Through Barriers to Blessing, Overcoming Sins, Wounds, and Demons. And it's along the lines of what I've been asked to, to share on this morning. So if you want to delve a little deeper in that subject, those books are available there. Uh, for a price, unfortunately. Um, so uh, please do avail of that. I also mentioned earlier in the, the last meeting, and Phil gave me permission to plug the Portadown House of Prayer. I don't know whether, I'm afraid to even ask, have you ever heard of it? Well, maybe you should. Have you ever heard of Portadown House of Prayer? Put your hand up. Why have you never been? <laughs> you couldn't all have been. Some of you have been, I'm sure, and we're glad of that. But it's a prayer cycle. If you know Chimes um, Coffee Shop in Portadown Town Centre, just beside St. Mark's Church of Ireland, um, above it, every Friday from 7 a.m. through to 6 p.m., we have a prayer cycle, an hourly cycle. It's open to drop in at any time. Um, so if you live and work in the Portadown area and you're on your lunch break or whatever, um, pop in for five, ten minutes. It's an interactive prayer room. And it's silent prayer unless there's a group there that wants to pray together. Um, but you'd be very welcome. And uh, we sort of s struggle along. We've been going for five years now. And uh, at times it's hard to keep going. Um, but if you feel that you can help out with that, we we'd really love that. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. And we're continuing the series that you've been in, uh, following Jesus in all of life. And I've been asked to bring a word on deliverance. And this is a portion of Scripture that Phil read last week, and I, I want to read it again from verse 16 of Luke chapter 4. So he, Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And we'll, we'll end there. I call this portion of Scripture the mandate of the Messiah or the mission statement of the Messiah. Of course, Jesus was handed the scroll of Isaiah, and whether he was meant to read at uh, chapter 61 or not, that's where he went. And then at the end of reading that, he then declared that he was the fulfillment of this prophetic scripture, hundreds of years inspired by the Holy Spirit, spoken through the prophet Isaiah, long before Jesus was born. 
And a couple of the things in the mission statement that he had come to do is to heal the broken heart, to proclaim liberty or freedom to the captives, and liberty to those who are oppressed. Um, big organizations, corporations, even churches like our own here, um, rewriting the story of the city, have often strap lines or mission statements that are really statements of intent, of why they exist, the purpose for being, and what they're wanting to do. And this is what Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed of God, of the Holy Spirit, came into the world to do, to set people free. And First John um, chapter 3, verse 8 speaks to this. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested or revealed that He might destroy the works of the devil. And so deliverance is central to the message of why Jesus came into the world. The word underlined there, destroy, is the Greek word luo, which is actually also the word loose. It means to unpick or, or, or deconstruct. And so effectively, as Jesus walked through Galilee and Judea and doing his wonderful signs, miracles, and teaching, he was effectively destroying demolishing the superstructure of satanic darkness that had been over the earth for millennia. Isn't that good? So this is why Jesus came, to totally eradicate the influence of darkness in people's lives. And this is central to the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, 28, if I by the Spirit cast out, by the Spirit of God cast out demonic spirits, then is the kingdom of God come upon you. This is interesting. In the context, Jesus was being accused by the scribes and the Pharisees, casting out demonic spirits by the prince of the demons, Beelzebub. Jesus explains how that's not possible. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. But right in the middle, there's this gem of understanding something of what it is when God's kingdom comes. And this is marvelous because even in this morning service, people being, being touched by God is a sign that the kingdom is coming that the kingdom is in our midst, that, that, that actually the effectiveness of people being set free is an indication that God's kingdom rule is on the earth right now in the Spirit. And so this is what we want to see. And we see it here, actually in this same chapter, because after he declares who he is from Isaiah 61, he talks a little bit about how a the prophet is not without honor except in his own country. And then the first thing he does after declaring his identity is found in verse 31. And I want to read this with you. Then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with, and I want you to, if you underline your Bible, it's underlined, but certainly remember this. His word was with authority. Now, in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. So that's effectively a guy in church their day with a, a demonic spirit. And that can happen. Could, could be the case this morning. And he cried out with a loud voice saying, let us. It was a demonic spirit, but spoken plural, let us. There were more than one alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? And that word destroy is, is connected to that root word, loose, again, that we saw in First John. If you come to loose us, destroy us. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. It's an interesting demonic realm knows who Jesus is. Intellectuals may not know. Ecclesiastical figures may have their doubts at times, but the demons know who Jesus is. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. 
There's a lot we can learn about the demonic and how to deal with it here. He wasn't given the demonic a stage to perform on or manipulate people. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, this can happen, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, what a word this is. Watch this again. For with authority, there's the word again, and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And the report about him went out in every place in the surrounding region. I want you to note the first thing Jesus does after declaring his mandate and mission statement to set people free is to cast a demonic spirit out of a God-fearing person in the synagogue. And he also nails the fact that he's got authority. By inference, they, people see this. And he's got power to do something. He's not just quoting rabbinical authorities or walking about in long robes claiming authority. He shows he's got it from God and he's got the power to back it up. And there's a difference between these two words that's often misunderstood in the original language. Sometimes they're both translated power in our English versions, which is not, not helpful. But the word for authority is exousia, and the word for power is dunamis or dynamis, which we get dynamite, dynamism, dynamic from. Um, and they're different in their sense because authority has the connotation of jurisdiction, where someone has a jurisdiction, a right of influence. Whereas the word power is all about ability to affect something, to change things, to do. And Jesus has both authority and power. And let me just illustrate this. I like to illustrate it in this way. A police officer has the right to bear arms because he's got authority. He's not just got the gun, he's got the badge as well as the gun. It's just as well, isn't it? Whereas a criminal has the gun but not the badge. They have the power but not the authority. It's an illegal power. Yeah? And just to add a little bit to that, if the police officer decided on Saturday morning to take his firearm and go and shoot duck with it or geese, that would be an illegal use of his power. He's not authorized to do that. So authority is the remit that we have, the jurisdiction that we have to use power. And Phil touched on this last week, that Right at the very beginning, Satan was a created being by God. His name was Lucifer. He was a cherubim. He overshadowed the presence of God and guarded the presence of God. He was probably involved in some form of worship as well, leading worship perhaps. And he was the highest form of God's creation. And he had been given authority by God to do that, and he had got power to do it as an angel of light. But he stepped out of his remit, his authority, and he seized power illegally. Who doesn't know that Satan's got power today? Yeah. But he hasn't the authority to use it unless it's given to him by those who have authority. So fast forward into the Garden of Eden. Satan takes the illegal power, but Adam and Eve have been given authority and dominion, the biblical word is, to rule over all creation. Then they listen to Satan tempting, has God really said, they obey the voice of the enemy, and effectively what they do is they give over their authority to rule and to reign in nature to Satan. So he gets authority from Adam. He gets authority to use his power in creation from Adam. That's why, as Phil said last week, um, he, he came to Jesus in the, in the temptation in the wilderness and said, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world if you bow down to me, because they were his to give. Now, this is a wonderful message of the gospel, that when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he wrested from the hands of Satan that wrong authority that he'd taken. Yeah. 
And now he says, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go and make disciples. He's got it back and he gives it back to us as his disciples. So Jesus has authority and power to change people's lives and to set them free. Um, this is another good illustration. I don't know if you've ever had computer problems. Um, I like that one. What is it? The problems between the desk and the chair. It's usually you, isn't it? But sometimes the gremlins come into the system somehow. And if you're in a workplace, uh, what happens is you quickly phone the IT department and they come down and they try and fix it. And, and those wizards have administrative privileges. Is that right? So they can go on any computer in the whole system, in the whole department, and fix it. And they've got a password to do that. Jesus has now authority. He has administrative privileges to fix us. And he, his name is like the password, because there's power in the name, the authority, and the work that Jesus has, has done. This is the wonder of the cross. We often think of it just from the perspective of our sins forgiven. And isn't that wonderful? If that's all there was, that would be enough in getting to heaven when we die. But there's much more than that. Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by his cross. And that means because he's defeated not just sin and death, but the devil, we can be set free. John 10, 10, the thief is the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's Satan. If death, theft, and destruction, if those fingerprints are over something, you know, you know who they, whose they are. They're the enemies. But Jesus comes to give us life to the full, life in abundance and overflowing. And that's the gospel of the kingdom. But it's not only the mission of the Messiah. He has commissioned us as his disciples, to go with the same message, with the same authority and the same power over the enemy. Look at chapter 9 of Luke with me. Chapter 9, very quiet. No rustling. You probably got a phone or something, gadget. But do look it up with me if you can. Chapter 9, verse 1. This is the 12 the Lord now commissions. He called his 12 disciples together. He gave them power and authority. Those those two words, dunamis and exousia, over all demons, none left out, isn't that good, and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So he devolved his authority and power to the 12. And then chapter 10, if you look at it in verse 1, after these things, the Lord appointed 70, some versions say 72 others also, and sent them out two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself uh, was about to go. And he told them about the harvest being great. Go down to verse 9. This is what he told them to preach. Heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Now, I want you to notice this. Verse 17 of the same chapter. He sends out the 12, he sends out the 70, 72, and when they returned, they had joy, verse 17, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, let's just pause there. Some people believe that's a reference to when Satan fell. You know, um, he rebelled, tried to usurp the authority of God, a third of the angels fell with him. But actually, I think this is more likely that what Jesus is talking about here, though that all did happen, is that he saw in that moment, as he had sent out the disciples with his authority and power, Satan losing influence over the kingdom of men. He was falling from his place of authority by what they were doing. 
Verse 19, Behold, I give you authority, there's it again, to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all, don't you love that word, all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So don't be terrified of the devil. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. There's a great danger when this whole demonic and spiritual realm is opened up to you that you get obsessed with it. Some people do when they see something manifest or happen, uh, they think, and they think it's the key to everything. It's not. It's only a small part of the jigsaw of discipleship and following Jesus in life. We are to rejoice that our names are in the Lamb's book of life. We are to rejoice that we're born again. That's the greatest miracle of all. And we're made like Jesus, and we're going to be completely like him one day. And yet, look at verse 21. Jesus mentions, rejoice in this, not that the spirits are subject, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that are, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Now, I believe Jesus was the happiest man alive, the most joyous person, filled with gladness. I believe that. But this is the only reference that we have in all the Gospels to Jesus ever rejoicing. Look it up. And what's he rejoicing over? He's rejoicing over the fact that he has now given his own authority to his disciples and the power to do something. I was convicted by this, by the way, when I was studying, because I thought, do I rejoice when I gift other people with my authority and my power and my, my ability? And my old man, I usually don't. I, used to, I want to keep that to myself, my influence and my aptitude and abilities. I, I don't want to give those dollars, those are mine. Isn't Jesus wonderful? He gives it all away. Everything he can do, he says, I'm giving it all away. And I'm rejoicing. I'm not, he's not begrudging. He's giving it all away, and he's joyous. It, it actually literally says, rejoiced greatly in authority given. And that's why you've got the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you, though I'm with you always, even on the end of the world. Teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. That means put into practice the things that I taught you, I showed you. So he's giving us authority and power to do what he did. That's what John 14, 12 means. Most assuredly, I say to you, he that believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also in greater works than those because I go to my Father. So he's sending them out with authority to do what he did and giving them the power to back it up. That's why in Mark 16, which is Mark's version of the Great Commission, it talks about the signs that will follow those who believe in my name. They'll lay hands on the sick and they'll be made well. They'll speak with other tongues and they will expel demons. He's given us this authority in his kingdom. The reason being, and I keep forgetting to show this slide, Lord Jesus, the 12, 70, 72, and all disciples. The reason being is that freedom is the Magna Carta, the, the legal charter of the gospel. It's what the gospel is all about. Freedom is the atmosphere of the kingdom of God, and it's the air we breathe. John 8, 36 says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. John 8, 32, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not be any longer enslaved in a yoke of bondage. 
So I want to ask you today, not so much are you a Christian, although that's very important, and it would be good to get that sorted out here today before we go on any further. But I'm asking you, are you free? Because that's why Jesus died. Do you have life? Do you have abundance? Do you have the peace, the joy, uh, the, the, the uh, love of God shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit? This is what he wants for you. He doesn't want you to be saved and stuck somewhere. He doesn't want any blockages to blessing in your life. We are in a spiritual war. And the sooner Christians realize spiritual warfare is a reality, the better to overcoming it. And spiritual warfare is effectively all about, listen carefully, who you listen to, who you believe, and who you obey. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. That's when it all went, you said pear-shaped, but apple-shaped or whatever you mentioned. Was that you said about the pear in the ground and the apple in the tree? But anyway, um, that's when everything went wrong. They listened to the enemy's voice. They believed him, and they obeyed him. And that is how you give authority. You listen, you believe, and you obey. Whoever you listen, believe, and obey to, you give authority to. You empower whatever you give rights to. And that's effectively how the enemy gets his power. How it happened at the beginning with Adam and Eve, but that's how it happens in everybody's life, whether you're a Christian or not. Now, let me say, other people can give, if, if, if you're a parent, sometimes you can allow an opening for your children by authority that you give, decisions you make. And it can pass down various generations. So I'm not saying it's all your fault alone. People can affect us and hurt us and harm us and, and but ultimately, there is a principle here that if you're making choices, sinful choices, opening up doorways to danger, whatever you're listening, believing, and submitting to, you're giving authority to. You believe the lie, you empower the liar. And effectively, the demonic is the empowering force, the enforcement agency of hell. So, if you obey God's Word, and come into line with the plumb line of Scripture, the Holy Spirit will empower you, yes? Well, whenever you disobey God and listen to the enemy and act on His Word, you actually are empowered by the demonic. Effectively, that's what can happen. So we want to demystify it. And this is why the Lordship of Jesus is central to the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus is Lord. I confess Jesus is Lord. And I submit to his rule and reign in every area of my life. Now, that's not saying I've got every part of me sorted, because I don't. But it is saying I want to surrender even the stuff that I'm still struggling with to the Lord. I want to bring my sin into relationship with the Lord. Not hide like Adam did in the garden. But I want to bring everything into the light. And I want to submit everything to the Lordship of Jesus. That's why there's so much in the New Testament. In fact, everything in the New Testament... The epistles and the gospels about the devil warning us that he's a roaring lion going about who, made, who wants to devour us and destroy us, put on the armor of God, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, etc. Do not be ignorant of his devices. It's all written to Christians. Why? Because he's interested in pulling us down. There's a war on against Christians because you're a threat to the enemy more than anyone. And yet so many of us are ignorant to the spiritual war. So many of us are blind to the spiritual atmosphere and dimension in which we live because we've been brought up with a materialist education. 
And I'm not against education, I'm not against science at all, but so often we are educated as if the only thing that's real is material. And if your five senses can't engage with something, it doesn't exist. Yeah? But that's not what the Bible teaches. I read a wonderful statement recently by Jim Daly in Decision Magazine. Oh, there's another one I forgot. I'm really good at this. That's the spiritual principle of covering. Stay under the covering of the Lordship of Jesus. Step out. You're under threat and in trouble. Jim Daly, Decision Magazine, that's the Billy Graham Association magazine, says there is a, a lack of understanding about the spiritual realm and the influence that it has on the physical realm. Have you ever thought about the influence that the spiritual has on the physical? The spiritual precedes, influences, and to many degrees determines the physical realm. The better we understand the spiritual and how it relates to the physical, the better we are able to operate as Christians. The spiritual precedes, goes before, influences, and to many degrees determines the physical realm. So when you're going about life, even when you're looking at the news, what Phil's talked about in Sri Lanka, even what's happened tragically in the last couple of weeks here in our province, do you see on the skin-deep level, or do you see beyond that the spiritual dimension of what is actually going on? And the spiritual is more real than the physical. And yet many of us operate as Christians as unbelieving believers when it comes to the demonic. Now, I don't want us to delve off the deep end, become obsessed, as I said earlier. But the worldview of the Gospels is very different than our worldview often today. The word translated, demon possession, in most English versions, is demonizomai, which doesn't really have the sense of Ownership, that's what we think of when we talk about possession. Possession is nine-tenths of the law, even though I don't think that's true, so don't try it. But um, it's not ownership, it's influence. And it literally means under the power of a demon. And whilst it is used of cases like the demoniac in Mark 5, with thousands of demons and other cases like that, it's also used, this word, demonizomai, of physical conditions, mental torments, paralysis, Blindness, deafness, loss of speech, epilepsy, insanity. It's applied to any way the enemy robs life. And I believe that this is why some people aren't healed. Not all, but in many cases, often we are concentrating on the physical dimension. Oh, he's got a sore arm or a sore ankle or a sore head. And we're not cognizant of the fact that there's a dem maybe a demonic force behind it. Because there are spirits of infirmity in the Bible. There are spirits of deafness and dumbness and so on, etc. And we need to be aware when we sin, and this is what the premise of my book is, that sin opens a door to the demonic. Cain was told when he sinned, sin crouches at the door. Scripture actually personifies sin. And behind every sin, I believe, not a, I'm not saying everybody that sins gets a demon, but I believe there are corresponding demonic forces that empower certain sinful behaviors. If we give in to that sin enough, we give a right. And so to get free of that, you need to repent of sin. Don't be running down to get healed of sin or cast out sin. You need to repent of sin. Many of us are affected by broken hearts and woundedness and trauma. And all sorts, the book of Genesis at the very beginning, not just was there disobedience of Adam and Eve, but there was a brokenness come in, in relationships between Adam and Eve, not just God and man, Adam and Eve, Adam 
and his fellow man, Cain and Abel, and all the way through. And look at the families, the situations there's in. And the enemy uses brokenness to come in and bring demonic empowerment. So there could be sins and wounds that's opening a doorway to the demonic in your life. And you need to repent of the sins. You need to be healed of the wounds. But the demonic needs to be cast out. I want you to turn to a case here in Luke as well, 13, in the closing moments. I know there's an awful lot for you to take in this morning. But I want to speak to you from Luke 13, verse 10, and read about a woman who the Bible says had a spirit of infirmity. Look at verse 10 of Luke 13. Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. So she's in the synagogue again, so she's a God-fear. Actually calls her later on down a daughter of Abraham, which means she's a child of faith. She's got this spirit of infirmity, 18 years, but it's manifesting in a physical condition, so she's bent over in two. She's physically bound, but it's a spirit, a demon that's behind it. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed. There's that word again, Leo. You are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation and anger because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. And there is dead legalism, man-made religion personified. I mean, imagine that. A miracle to the glory of God takes place in the middle of a worship service, and they start nitpicking about what you do on it. Sabbath. Anyway, we'll move on. The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite, now watch this parable. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose? Now that's a clue. The word loo is used again. Loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it. So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, that's the opposite of loose, bondage, Think of it for 18 years. Be loosed from the bond on this bond on the Sabbath. Jesus is using a picture, parable. And he's saying, you guys on the Sabbath loose your ox or your donkey. Untie it. So why should this woman, who's a daughter of Abraham, a child of God, if you like, who's been bound, bound bondage, demonic, by Satan, just in case we didn't get it, for 18 years not be set free? I want you to see the picture language is significant of what Jesus actually did in the Spirit because he reached into this woman and he loosed her from something that happened 18 years ago to her. It's there. It's all there. She got bound 18 years ago, right, by something. We don't know what it was, whether she dabbled in the occult, whether she had an illicit relationship, whether it was moral, ethical, spiritual, whether it was a trauma or some kind of fear There was an opening to darkness, however it happened, and she got bound, and it manifested in a physical condition. And Jesus loosed her and set her free. I've said this, I've preached on this, no, not this whole message, just this story several times lately. And each time, I started off saying, I don't think this is a word of knowledge, but you never know. And then it's come to, actually, I think this might be a word of knowledge, to now, it's definitely a word of knowledge, all right? Newsflash. 
Because every time I've spoken on this, there's people in the gathering that 18 years ago had something that has affected them dramatically. Even in the first service, three people came to me 18 years ago to, to this year. So <laughs> I'm going to go on it that, that it might be you. But it, it doesn't matter if it's 18 or 8 or 8 months. Are you trapped or bound by something that happened in the past sinfully or through traumatic experience or wounding, and the enemy has used that to bind you. And it could be binding you through coping mechanisms that are sinful behaviors because you're trying to deaden pain. That's the addiction cycle. Pain seeks out pleasure. And it's not that you want to be an addict or you want to sin, but it's the only way you can cope. You know? Well, Jesus wants to set you free. You're not meant to live like that. I just have to announce to you, Jesus came to set you free. And it's not a gospel of hope or a gospel of life that tells people, oh, grace is enough and covers your sin, but there's no victory. No, there is victory. There's transformation through the message of the gospel. Let me tell you two stories. The first is Martin Lloyd-Jones was the minister of Westminster Chapel in London, but previously uh, he had been a Harley Street specialist, a physician in London, medical man, but in between he was a minister in the Welsh Valleys. And he was asked in 1930 to visit a guy who had excessive headaches, depression, stomach condition. He couldn't go out of his house. He was afraid to. And he was asked, would he speak with him? And he, he went and visited him. And he asked him, when did all this begin? That's often a very good question to ask people. When did this start? And he said it started in uh, 1915. This is 1930, 1915. And Lloyd-Jones said, well, how it happened. And he said, well, in 1914, I joined the Navy. The First World War began. I was um, allocated to the submarine corps, and we were sent to the Gallipoli campaign. We were out in a submarine. Submarine had a mine. Submarine went right to the bottom of the ocean. And he says, from that moment, I've never been the same man. My life's been completely different. Lloyd-Jones says, well, describe to me how this, this happened again. He said, that's it. And he started from the beginning, went through it all. And Lloyd-Jones asked him several times till he was exasperated. And then Lloyd-Jones remarked, well, it's strange to me that you never said how you got from the bottom of the ocean, how you were rescued, how you were brought to dry land, how you were transferred eventually back to Wales, and how you're sitting here to this very day. It seems to me, Lloyd-Jones remarked, that you're still at the bottom of the Mediterranean. And he was. And he prayed with him, and he was released. He was loose from that memory, from that event. I wonder, are you tied to something in the past and you're stuck there? Spiritually, you're stuck there. Second story, Charles Dickens' Great Expectations. There's a character in it called Miss Havisham. Miss Havisham, on the morning of her wedding, she was the daughter of a very wealthy man, and she sent a letter from her beloved to tell her that he wasn't coming. And that was 8.40 a.m. in the morning, and she went around her whole house, stopping the clocks at 8.40 a.m. She was dressed within her wedding gown, and she lived in it the rest of her life till it turned yellow and worn. She had only one shoe on at the moment she got that message, and she lived with one shoe on the rest of her days. She was trapped in time, caught at 8.40 all those years ago. There's a number of things that you need to do if you're 
bound by darkness in some way. And this is a huge subject, but let me give you quickly some things to bring everything to a close. First of all, you need to surrender. This is going back to that covering slide, to that authority. It's all about who you declare as Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. I renounce Satan and all his works. Jesus Christ is Lord. And you submit to his authority, his rule and reign. As I said, that doesn't mean you have everything sorted. Nobody's got everything sorted. But you're saying, Lord, I'm willing to be willing. I'm willing to surrender every area of my life to you. That's a lot of areas. I could show you a big prayer covering nearly every area of your life. And it's a lot of stuff. Your money, your sexuality, your intellect, your business life, your marriage, your family, your sleep, your waking hours. Loads of things. Will you surrender? You need to repent of how you've been opening doors of darkness. And you might say, oh, but that was all before I became a Christian. Well, 99.9% .9 of the people that I ever pray with are Christians. And there are some things that are sorted at the moment of salvation. There's some things aren't. And how do you know? Well, you know if there's some bothering you now. If there's some still a blockage and in the way now, that's how you know it needs to be dealt with. And I don't care how many years ago it is. You may need to go back there. And you may need the Lord to deal with. Repent of something. Maybe a coping mechanism. How you're dealing with pain is a wrong thing. How you're reacting to hurt. People that are hurting you. Maybe you're hurting them back. You need to repent. You need to renounce. Sometimes it's not enough to repent. You actually need to declare, I renounce listening to fear. I renounce listening to lies. I renounce listening to the declaration of the enemy. They might speak through mom or dad or somebody else over my life. I renounce those things. Maybe you need to renounce the things you've said over yourself. I'm no good. I'm rubbish. I'm a failure. I'll never amount to anything. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. There's a great power in words. And we need to renounce the things that we say and the lies that we've believed. We need to forgive those people who have hurt us. One of the greatest keys to, forgive, to, to, to deliverance is the key of forgiveness. It sets us free. I could talk for long enough on that, but you just need to know it. And it's not a feeling, it's an act of your will. If you wait till you feel like forgiving someone, you'll never forgive them. It starts by a decision to say, I choose to forgive them for whatever they did. And the enemy hates that, and he wants yeah. to prevent you doing that. Good. Receive the healing. Many of us have pushed down and suppressed our hurt so much that we hardly know where to find it. Good news is Jesus knows where to find it. But you've got to give him permission to get in there. Especially you guys who push the pain down. You need to allow him to bring it to the surface. And it might look like tears. It may not. But I said earlier, some of us have a reservoir of tears underlaid by a layer of ice. We need to let the Lord bore a hole into the ice and let the tears come. And then we need to command the enemy to leave us. And here's a little clue. Often a spirit that we may be bound by looks like the name of the spirit is just the behavior or the tendency that it perpetuates. So fear is caused by spirit of fear. Lust can be caused by a spirit of lust. Now there's the flesh and all that, and we have to repent of how we've cooperated. But a spirit of infirmity, we've heard about it. And we need to actually say, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command this spirit of whatever to leave me. Leave me now. The spirit of tormental torment. The spirit of heaviness and depression. I command it to leave me. Will you do that? Will you allow the Lord to set you free? And it may be that this morning, we're going to stand in a moment and go through this, but you need help. And many a time we need help to walk through this. And the prayer ministry teams available at the back this morning, highly trained people. What a wonderful 
opportunity tonight, and I'm not saying leave it to tonight, but an encounter now has got wonderful time to come and really let God do a deep work in all your hearts. During the earlier service, I had a numbness down this left-hand side and a kind of dull ache and pain. I'll let Phil tell you what he experienced, and I know that was the first service, and there was a number of people came with that similar condition and got a bit of help, um, but I don't know whether it was just for then or for now, so I'm throwing that out. If you've got a condition, it could be a spirit of infirmity that needs to go. Let's stand together and do business with God as we bring things to a close. I want you to engage with God. I know we don't have much time on a Sunday morning to go through a lot of stuff. But listen, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. The Spirit is here. The kingdom is here. And He wants to set people free. And I've seen it so many times. He wants to heal people. He wants to liberate captives. So will you surrender? Just where you are, will you say now to the Lord, I surrender to your Lordship. I surrendered every area of my life to you, Lord Jesus. No, no area. Could I have that back on the screen, please? No area is no-go area for you. I repent of having given in to this, that, or the other to solve my pain, to escape, to react and defend myself or control situations or whatever. Repent if you've done occult stuff, even if it's way in the past. Repent of that. Maybe you need to repent of ungodly relationships and ask the Lord to break loose ungodly ties. Renounce the things that you've said over yourself or being said over you or the things you've given yourself to or believed. Renounce them. Forgive the people that have hurt you, the people that opened doors for you that have harmed you. Receive the healing. Just say, Lord, I open now to come into my mind, to come into my soul, my spirit, come into my emotions, even my body. Lord, I say yes to your healing power. And now I command the enemy to leave you. Spirit of this, that, or the other, I command you. If it's a spirit of infirmity, listen, what have you got to lose? Just command it to go. If you've tried everything, try a spirit of infirmity and you might get healed this morning. Yeah? So just pray now. Where you are, take one moment and do what was on that screen. Then I'll pray over you. Now, in the name and authority of the Lord Jesus, I ask you, Father, to pour out your Holy Spirit's healing into brokenness, into woundedness, into fractured people, and bring the healing of the cross. You came to bind the brokenhearted, heal their wounds, Lord Jesus, heal their wounds. Reach in with your nail-pierced hand, touch them, and heal them. Make them whole, Jesus, because that's what you died for and rose again for. And in the name and authority that you have given and the power, I command the demonic realm to leave people's lives right now. Those who have truly engaged with you through repentance, through forgiveness, through what is necessary to be set free, I command those spirits to leave right now. Whoever you are, every spirit that does not confess Jesus Christ as Lord, leave people right now in Jesus' name. And specifically, I command spirits of infirmity to leave and spirits of sickness that came in through openings in the past. We rebuke you and we command you. We put you under the heel of Christ and we command you to leave now in Jesus' name. Father, just flood your kingdom, which is love, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost into people's hearts right now that they may rejoice as overcomers and celebrate your kingdom power. Lord Jesus, we give you the glory. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website 
at emmanuel-church.co.uk.